Phoenix children, and dare you step inside the vegan abattoir. I'm Kevin Smith. And I'm Harley Quinn Smith. And it's episode 10. Woohoo! We've done it 10 times. 10! Woohoo! 10! I'm celebrating two 10s today. This is the 10th ap- episode of Vegan Abattoir. Tonight, I do the uh, 10th anniversary show of Hollywood Babylon. So the same. Exactly the same. Exactly the same. It's something to shoot for. It is. It's inspiring. Could you imagine if we get to 10 years of vegan abattoir? You'll be... That would mean you kept me alive. <laughs> I'd be 60. You'll be 60. Wow. And that, that veganism would have kept me alive that far. So you could be like, oh, my God, not only do I have 10 years worth of the this fucking useless podcast that nobody listens to, but... Hey. <laughs> who knows what the future holds? But I kept the old man alive. A success in itself. And I'd be 60. What will I be like at 60? Probably a lot like I was at 40. 50, I've never 30. ever imagined. I can never picture you as an old man. I cannot picture you with gray hair. Sooner or later, it'll go gray. I don't fight it. Like periodically, if I get makeup done, the makeup artists will like try to cover it up. That shit don't like, I don't like it. I prefer to trim out white hair so i'll go i'll sit in the bathroom mirror for a half hour and like hunt and peck (laughs) white hairs and trim them out and like the people that work at like emily who does Mm -hmm. my my hair makeup like my groomer if you will um hates it she's like you cut open giant fucking patches in your beard i'm like yes (laughs) but at least there's no white fucking hairs sticking out might be a little counterproductive to it really kind of is but i, I mean who am i trying to win i'm already married i got a kid i'm it's done true. you're good <laughs> yeah right in the impressed people game but for still for some reason i do the white hairs bug me where i go in there and like trim them out and of course i anthropomorphize them where like the as the scissor comes in the other hairs are just like run but they can't run because oh they're hairs and then the white hairs are just like no what was our only crime but being old and then i stop because i'm like isn't this the way we treat everything that's old in society trim it out try to fucking this has gotten so dark i know this is what i think about when i trim my beard Jesus. and i trim my beard a lot wow um i'm very into beard care because it makes me introspective the saying is saying to your mom the other day like probably never needed a therapist in my fucking grown-ass life because look at this like, I could literally just be like, hey, man, I talked about the white hair in my beard. And I did it for free. It's true. I'm not charging you. <laughs> I know. Um, but here we are. Episode 10, ladies and gentlemen. Proud to be here. I honestly thought I'd be editing this and be sick of this shit by now because I'm like, she doesn't fucking take any responsibility for her own show. Hey. But it went the other way. You fucking took total responsibility. Probably cut all of this out. No. As the editor of the show. No. uh, Probably going to cut right to you being like, it is my anniversary. Everyone, pat me on your back. (laughs) I did 10 episodes. I did 10 of a thing. (laughs) I mean, what else have you ever done 10 of except 10 years in school, maybe 10 hours on the Peloton? My fucking 10 different cats came through this house since <laughs> fucking you and austin been working with cats 10 songs in my band that's true there you go that's the only thing i can think of though and you've lived double 10 years plus i have um but it's a big fucking thing man and it's your thing uh before mom was talking about some friends of hers who have younger children mm-hmm. than we have um in in terms of the people 
<laughs> that Jen and I hang out with or our people our age group or our peers, whatever the fuck, our friend group, as the fucking <laughs> kids now call it and shit. Um, we had Harley fairly early. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Walter, I think, had his kid like a minute before us. But like everyone else we knew didn't start having kids till like way later, like mom's friend, Jen's friend, Trish like had her kid like i guess i don't know 10 years ago um his name's quentin but um quentin like you know is now almost at if not at double digits and you know poor trish is going through fucking the school just went back today or yeah in los angeles but they're not going back so it's back to homeschooling and she's like trying to hold down her job and homeschool the kid and it's like you know it's a lot of pressure and it's a story that's familiar throughout the rest of the country right now. Some mm-hmm. people holding down three jobs and homeschooling their kids because of COVID, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I was saying to mom today, I was like, man, like fucking how lucky did we get having the kid early? She's like out of all that. She's out of school. She's fucking 21, legit on her own. We could throw her out of the house and be like, fuck off. You're an adult. You could. It, it would suck. <laughs> but, we, but we like her. She's, she's lovable. Um, she's humble and lovable. Like Thanks. the shine boy who turns out to be underdog. Oh. That was in the underdog cartoon. The guy would give him a nickel and be like, thanks, shine boy. You're humble and lovable. So I'm a shine boy. And then he would go, bless you, sir. But then he would bite the quarter that the dude gave him. To make sure a nickel, to make sure it wasn't a wooden nickel. Have you ever heard the expression, don't take any wooden nickels? Nope. Man, some shit just lost to the fucking ages. I guess, why would you hear that expression? You're like, keep it on point, old man, or I'm cutting this shit out. <laughs> no. I'm the edit. I'm not the editor. I'm the editor. I am. There you go. Um, so, uh, man, oh, man, with, uh, with uh, 10 episodes under our belt. And a goodly amount of press, the Asbury Park Press, Alex Beast wrote us up in the, in the press That's the other day, nice. which is our hometown paper. Very nice. We did uh, a, what was it? A good. Good morning, America. Piece that I don't know if it's aired yet, but like. It'll come out soon. Soon. And, you know, all Veg about. news, live y- kindly. Yeah. Not bad for not 10 bad. episodes. Well done. But I was saying to mom, you know, I was like, well, you know, because she was like, well, Harley was you know, sad yesterday. And I'm like, well, everyone gets sad because sometimes we're like, what the fuck? Where's it? We used to have a world and a life and all these people are dying and what the, you know, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, the good news is that over the course of this time, you know, cause mom was just like, well, Harley sh- was supposed to be working right now. I was like, and she'll go to work when they allow people to go back to work. It's not like, and during the quarantine, like, you know, people were like, fuck her. We had time to think about it. <laughs> fuck her. <laughs> she ain't good at what she does. So we're going to cast that someone else. Sting. Um, the, uh, and I'm not talking about that show. I'm talking about the whole business. The just whole business fucking just reconsidered. Me out. Yeah. Fuck her. <laughs> quarantine allowed us to think and we watched it all and no. A consensus from the entire. <laughs> entertainment this industry. is the mayor of hollywood Jesus. put your daughter on the phone I'm like yes mr mayor hold on <laughs> you're out finished at faber i mean i'm thankful for that for sure <laughs> i'm like wow i gotta go tell your mom I'm like oh fuck she just got kicked out of the business of the entire industry <laughs> she ain't moving out anytime soon man <laughs> i guess she'll go into i don't know telemarketing what would you do 
if suddenly the mayor of Hollywood was like, no more. What if you got canceled for something? Like you were like, one day you fucking, you got all drunk and you were like, Hey man, if I'd eat a raccoon's asshole, if I could right now, I'm so hungry. People are like you fucking faux vegan. And then you had to walk it back. Like I was drunk. I don't know what I was thinking. And they're like, what were you drunk on? And they were like, it's not vegan wine. Fuck her. And so you get canceled. An awful story. <laughs> and I'm just watching from my Twitter account going, Oh man. Oh, Never post drunk. That's the number one rule of Twitter. <laughs> I can't help you now, kiddo. What would you then, what would your backup plan? Well, music. I don't know. Would you ever, what's, how far down the line is, you know, Kadoba or something like that? <laughs> or I'd gladly work at Kadoba. They have really good food. There you go. All right. I, what's, I, what is your, like, this is where, like, is it quick stop in New Jersey? Is that your bottom of the barrel? Because you know, your father got started there. There'd be some nice symmetry if you did wind up there. Um, well, I think if I, for some reason, lost my place in this industry because of a drunken raccoon video, I would... It's not a drunken raccoon video. It's you being drunk on Instagram Live and you're like, what's up, fucking hungry? I'd eat the asshole out of raccoon. And everyone's like, what the fuck? She vegan? She's a vegan. She can't say that. That'd be an embarrassing way to go out of this industry. True. So anyway, you get canceled and mm -hmm. the fucking mayor of Hollywood calls and says, you're out. Finished at Faber. What do you, what, where? I'd want to be a therapist. Yeah, that's totally achievable. I mean, it would take a while, but I definitely would I, want to be a therapist. I, I feel like that was my calling and I maybe missed it, but it's okay. Really? <laughs> yeah. You're, you're a pretty empathetic person. I, I would like to think so. And that's I, where we differ, though. I mean, I'm a very empathetic person, but because I'm sitting here, of course, because I'm me, I'm like, how come I never wanted to be a therapist? And I realize why. Because that's sympathetic versus empathetic. Well, I'm both of those things, but it's listening versus talking. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like, fuck that. The patient would be like, um, they'd start talking and they'd up. be like, you know, so when I was a kid, what my dad did, I was like, oh, my dad used to take me to movies. <laughs> it was amazing. I mean, we weren't besties. He didn't talk to me that much and shit. Like he ain't as open with me as I am with my kid, but like, I liked him. Like he was a good guy. He was just quiet and shit. <laughs> We saw him, you know, he took me to see World According to Garp and I was 12 and I probably wasn't ready for that because it was like a blowjob scene in that movie. But he thought the best of me and knew I could handle it. And the person sitting there going like, am I getting charged for this time? And then you're like, that's $500. Yeah, I'll be like, we're about, it's 50, it's 40. I, I like to do 45 minute hours, so we'll just cut it off there. Next week, we'll pick it up with my father and, and how, he, you know, I didn't really get into fucking sports, but he liked boxing. He might be the worst therapist of all time. If, Kevin Smith, celebrity therapist. They might come to pay to hear my stories rather than bitch about their lives. No. It's a one-on-one -on -one Q and A essentially. <laughs> and instead of going like, I can't stand where I am in the universe. You know, you pay me for 45 minutes and I'm like, waka, 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 waka. <laughs> like a reverse therapy? I don't kinda, even know what that is. Kind of. You're just putting away your troubles for 45 minutes and just having a good time thinking about my life and, you know, the relationships I had. And you can reflect on your own as well. Like the last 10 minutes are about you. So, like, after I talk enough, well, there'll never be enough. After I talk a bunch, you can relate that shit to your problems and i'll be like that's interesting anyway 
<laughs> it looks like our time here. So. Can you do your impression of what you'd be like as a therapist? Oh, waka, waka, waka. <laughs> you don't even know who that is, do you? No, it makes oh, me Oh, my laugh. God. That's Fozzie Bear from the Muppets. That was oh, really? his big line. He was always like, waka, 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 waka. <laughs> He'd come on stage and do that and then tell a joke and then button the joke with waka, waka, waka. It's cute. I like it. <laughs> watch some old Muppets. Fozzie is delightful he, he's just he tries so hard it's not good at what he does in many ways he's my well i don't want to say spirit animal because that takes from a culture that's not ours that culturally appropriates so instead i'll say he's my patronus because that steals from jk rawlings and she got a lot of fucking money so she you could steal from her is transphobic so you can take anything you want from her. <laughs> there you go. spoken like a younger <laughs> member of the, this generation the 21 year old man um I had a near-death experience uh, yesterday. I I always give Harley credit on the podcast for saving my life. Well, Harley endangered my fucking life just yesterday. Uh, In the house, if you've seen Sun in Lockdown, you know the layout out of our house. Um, If you know where Nan and Pop's room is, Nan and Pop's room is at one end of the house on the first floor. And they got a balcony, not a balcony, a deck, and it's got the turtles Mm-hmm. And the turtle tank from Tanked is out there. So if you saw like the Nan and Pop shots in uh, Sun and Lockdown, at one point you could see the turtle tank and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So um, the other yesterday I was like, well, I don't know if the kids are up yet, so maybe I'll feed the turtles. Austin, very good about feeding the turtles, or at least very good about lying about feeding the turtles. Every time I'm like, do you feed the turtles? He's like, yeah. And I believe him. I fed them yesterday. Which is like, I shouldn't believe him because he's a fa- fucking actor. He lies for a living. <laughs> and he does it well. I've worked with him. I know how well he could lie. He played a totally fucking irascible, irritating little cur in our show. But in real life, he's absolutely lovable. So I know the boy is capable of fucking performance. So he could be fibbing to me. But never. nobody, he, you guys weren't in evidence. He wasn't awake yet and shit. So... I go down to feed the turtles. Nan and Pop's room. Nan and Pop, for this, for the record, are not here. Mm-hmm. They're at their uh, new place in a retirement community in Nevada. We kicked them out of the house. We we're like, we're tired of living this way. <laughs> go be with old people. No, they, no, they, they had were their like, house. we're tired of you guys. <laughs> yeah, like, Fuck this. <laughs> um, so Nan and Pop, they make trips periodically to Nevada and stuff because they're still setting up their place. So they're currently not here. Nobody in Nan and Pop's room. So I got Shecky with me and she's following me as she follows me everywhere because she's my fucking shadow. So I head down to Nan and Pop's room to go feed the turtles and I open the door. Is the door open? No, I have to open the door. Yes, it's closed, but the door would be closed because nobody's in the room because Mm -hmm. Nan and Pop aren't there. Um, and it's not like, you know, uh, Austin was quarantining down there anymore. As we found out in the last episode, nobody has COVID here. So (laughs) nobody is in Nan and Pop's room. (laughs) Open the door. Lights are off. (laughs) Shecky runs in. I look for the light panel to turn the lights on. So the lights go on. First thing I fucking see is, you know, those two chairs Nan and Pop sit in, which if you've watched Son of Lockdown, (laughs) you've also seen Uh those chairs. It's their TV chairs, their old people chairs, the chairs that like one gets to when you're like 50. I I, I got a bed. 
So I, <laughs> I just lay on the bed and watch TV. But most old people, like my mom's got a chair. My dad had a chair. Mm-hmm. Old people get a chair and they just live Mom in has a couch. Like, yeah, she lives on her. Her chair is an en- entire fucking couch. Um, So appropriate. So, <laughs> so um, <True. laughs> I see one of Nan and Pop's chairs, Nana's chair to be specific, mm-hmm. rocking, rocking hard, hard enough for me to notice. And I instantly my heart stops because i'm like this is some paranormal activity shit (laughs) either that or austin was sitting in that chair quick fucking ran into the bathroom and then i was like what the fuck was he doing that he ran so was he jerking off in and pop's room do i tell harley what's going on (laughs) then i'm I'm like this is all within a split second because i'm looking at this chair moving going this ain't right why is it moving this is scary i shouldn't have come here and I see Shecky sniffing around. And then as I round the bed, I see the expression of the most shocked fucking cat you've ever seen in your life. With the widest eyes, the back hair up, all haunches up, tail in the air, everything but the hiss. Looking like a Halloween cat. Just like, what the fuck? Because this giant dog... Which she's actually kind of the same size as now. Yeah, no, just the same fucking size. smoked into the room and uh, was oblivious. Checky went right to the litter box. Really? Yeah. Checky didn't see see mouse. Never saw a mouse, and that's how fast that cat was. Harley left her cat in Nan and Pop's room. Well, well, I did not. Should have put a sign on the door. <laughs> Beware, cat inside. Okay, I didn't leave him alone for no good reason. Both of my cats got fixed. Yeah. And if you We can have a whole conversation about that in terms we can of animal have a ethics. Whole conversation. Well you you should absolutely get your animals fixed because spaying and neutering stops from overpopulation of homeless cats, which there are already so many full shelters full of homeless animals and you don't need to add to that. Obviously we would not give our kittens if, if our if our cats had kittens, we wouldn't give our kittens to a shelter. We would find them homes. But the people who are then taking those cats, it takes an opportunity away from them to house a homeless animal that's in a shelter that could be killed off because many of them are in kill shelters. So it's a it's a it's a long story. But or you could just keep them separated. Mouse does not like being alone. Neither does Minnie. They're siblings. They love each other. They're best friends. Love each other a little too much, apparently. Yeah, enough for you to be like, put them under the knife, doctor. No. Well, it was a really it was a really traumatic event to see Minnie in this much pain. And then afterwards, I was like, oh my gosh, did I make the wrong decision? But as a vegan for the animals, I knew that I made the right decision because we cannot have more homeless pets in this world because there are already so many that need loving homes. So, anywho. Look at that <laughs> shit. We're already fucking slaughter in the misinformation i could talk about that for a really long time but minnie and mouse got fixed on the same day and what i did not know was that male cats recover in a very short amount of time basically like a day Speaking to two days as a male cat we just bounce back baby. it's so annoying this cat bounced back would it take me one day to get over that heart attack we bounce back the lady cats take a long time to recover oof and Minnie was in so much pain. Mouse was like jumping around the next day after my we balls? got. Them. Where's my ball? He was. Where's my ball? <laughs> His balls, balls are so small now. It's so weird. But it's it's. I don't think he even knows really. Sure, tell yourself that. He he honestly doesn't know. He he's fine. He's like in the next life, lady, 
I take your sex. <laughs> <laughs> you tell me if you notice. He, but meow, the next meow, day, meow. he woke up and was like bouncing everywhere and he was so happy in his normal self. And poor Minnie was crying and she couldn't she wouldn't eat she wouldn't drink water she wouldn't go to the bathroom she tried to pee and she started basically screaming ow ow this is getting sad i don't want to fucking anyway, talk this about is this just, mouse was fully recovered and minnie was not recovered at all and still won't be for a, a bit more time so mouse needed to be kept separated from minnie because mouse kept trying to play with her and minnie didn't have the energy or the the capability to play with mouse and then or even the willingness probably she's like i just went through major surgery you fucking dummy she was pretty pissed off and she kept kicking him which was pretty funny so then we decided to give minnie a break we would put mouse in a different room so she could rest peacefully because when you put mouse in a little playpen or a hut or whatever you will he will not stop meowing constantly for an hour and no one can sleep peacefully during that so i wanted to give minnie the space to rest and recover. Anyways, that's why Mouse was in the room alone. Continue? Mouse almost wound up in in the mouth of Shecky, man. <laughs> if she was just, you know, she's 15, but she's spry mm -hmm. and spunky. She just didn't put together that, like, there would be a cat in the room. The box was enough to capture her imagination. That box saved your cat's ass, man. I definitely should have put a sign on the door. I went back in there after I, fu I fucking tripped over myself to land on Shecky mm -hmm. to stop her from seeing the fucking cat and then scooped her up and got her to fuck out there. Went right down to Harley to be like, um, bro. I know. I was like, what did I do now? Then when I went back in to without Shecky to feed the turtles, as I originally wanted to do, couldn't find mouse anywhere. Oh, fed the turtles, came back in, still no mouse. I was like, Got down on my fucking old man knees, looked <laughs> under the bed, and there's the wide-eyed fucking like, oh, no, I'm good here, thanks. <laughs> oh, mouse. I'm not coming out, thanks. <laughs> Poor mouse. <laughs> I, thought I, I thought I was about to be yelled at for not feeding the turtles, and I was like, I fed them. <laughs> I'm so ready to tell him, fed us <laughs> off. I really want to the turtle. Here we go. Bring it on, old man. What? <laughs> mouse? It <laughs> was. I was like, my mouse. <laughs> um, ugh, ugh, Anywho, ugh. I'm so sorry that I gave you another near-death experience. I really... The ambulance had shown up, fucking, they would have been like, what happened? I would have been like, I had a child. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to. Um, who did you interview this week for um, episode 10? Who got the special episode 10 slot? Our guest this week is Ed Winters, also known as Earthling Ed, who is an activist based out of London. Does he um, got the accent? He does have an accent, as you'll hear in, in this interview. So he's like, oi, Oli Quinn there. <laughs> no. Oi, oi, oi. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, whoa, man. It was fun, though. I was I was like, keep talking. Yeah, like, I like that your That sounds voice. so pleasant and smart. <laughs> sounds like a James Bond movie. Our first international guest. Exciting. Is that right? Mm-hmm. He does a lot of important work. He created an animal rights organization called Surge, where he writes a lot of open letters to farms or places that he knows that animal cruelty is happening. I signed uh, his latest open letter that was to St. Helen's Farm to demand the safe release of the goats uh, that were being held here and treated very cruelly. It's cool, though, because in his letter, he also provided 
an alternative and and he was asking for them to transition to plant-based farming so it's not like he's approaching these people demanding them to stop what they're doing lose all their money go out of business he's trying to help provide an alternative so the animals are safe and these people can keep making money but in a much more ethical way let's hear what that interview sounded like Hi, thank you so much for being on this. I'm so excited to talk to you. No, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a delight to be able to speak with you. And I'm just very grateful to to be invited to, to be on the podcast. You have done so many important things for the animal rights community and the vegan community. And you've opened so many people's eyes to the reality of animal agriculture with your videos and your activism. And I've heard so much about you. So I'm so excited to get to talk to you. There are so many different things that I want to cover, but Usually with every episode, I begin with asking, where did your journey with veganism begin? Yeah, that's a good question. So for me, it started, um, well, actually, I went vegetarian first. And the reason I went vegetarian is because I came across this story about a truck carrying about six and a half thousand chickens, I think it was, to a slaughterhouse uh, near the city of Manchester in, in the UK. And the truck had crashed on en route. And I remember reading about it. I was reading it on the BBC and I was horrified by what I was reading. The journalist had said that hundreds of the animals had died from the impact, but there were hundreds more that had broken bones and broken wings and were suffering and still alive on the side of this road or crushed in the crates that they're transported in. And I was just really shocked by it. But then I felt like a hypocrite because in my fridge was a KFC mm. because fried chicken was like my favorite foods before I, I stopped eating animals. And I just felt like such a hypocrite for feeling sorry for these chickens. But the reason they were on the way to a slaughterhouse is because I and others like me paid for them to be killed so I could eat them. So that was really a bit of a day of reckoning for me. Yeah. And <laughs> vegetarianism. I, I still had this idea, like so many people do, that you know meat is a problem, but dairy and eggs are fine because the animals aren't killed, so they say. And then I was vegetarian for about eight months. And my girlfriend was encouraging me to watch this documentary called Earthlings. She hadn't seen it, but she'd seen it advertised. And she, she was saying to me, we should watch it. We should watch it. And I said, no, I really don't want to watch this documentary. Like, it doesn't seem like a fun watch. But one morning she was just like, we're going to watch it. So, you know, sit down and watch it. And so I did. And afterwards I was shaken by it. I mean, the documentary, it's, it's free to watch on YouTube, I believe. It's horrible. It's about 90 minutes, an hour 40 or so of just really intensely real, but at the same time, graphic footage of what happens to animals in farms, slaughterhouses, vivisection laboratories, circuses, zoos, in so many different places. And afterwards, I was like, this is really something serious and something that needs to be dealt with. And just abstaining from eating meat is not really dealing with the problem. The problem is this mindset we have towards how we view non-human animals. I had a pet at the time called Rupert, who was a hamster. And I loved Rupert very dearly. And I remember after the documentary finished, I sat with Rupert and he was on my hands and he used to love broccoli so much. It was his favorite <laughs> food. Right? And Aww. so I got him, I know he's so cute, bless him. I, so I got him some broccoli really because I wanted to watch him eat to make me feel better after watching the documentary. But after when he was eating it, I was looking at Rupert thinking, this little creature here who's you know so small has so much personality about him you know the fact that he enjoys broccoli but there's the foods he doesn't like he'll turn his nose up at like kale for instance he never liked kale mm. and I thought, so he has his likes and dislikes and things that make him unique but then all these other animals who i'm paying to be killed or exploited on my behalf also have all these personalities and these attributes and characteristics that i look at with such admiration within rupert 
So I should therefore look at them with, an ad, as, with admiration within them as well. And yeah, it was after that that I realized that veganism was really just uh, an extension of, of, of really the morals that I already had within me. So that was what encouraged me to change. Absolutely. I had a super similar experience to you where I had the same realization, but with my rabbit that I adopted named Cinnamon. Um, oh. she, I also love the name Rupert for a hamster. That's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> and that he, yeah. he liked broccoli. That's the best. Um, but my rabbit was the reason that I first went vegetarian too, because, uh, when I adopted her, she was in such a horrible condition from, the life that she had before she was surrendered to the shelter. Uh, she was held by hoarders who had, I think, like a hundred other rabbits, I was told. And so she had this ripped ear and a bunch of metal stitches that were not tended to. And she was covered in pee and she was just, she was awful in such a, such a bad condition. And so she was so scared and so timid for so long because she thought that I was going to hurt her, rightfully so, because she had been hurt in the two years prior to being with me. So she was like that for quite a while, for a few months. And then after showing her love and compassion and making sure she knew that I wasn't going to hurt her, she eventually opened up to me and became such a loving creature and now we have this such a great relationship like it sounds like you had with Rupert <laughs> and yeah exactly she's just like the love of my life she's my best friend I love her so much with my whole heart and she really was who opened my eyes to veganism or to vegetarianism to being more compassionate towards animals because I felt like a hypocrite for seeing how human compassion could completely change her life but it felt very hypocritical to then not make a greater change to my life to cut out or begin to cut out animal products. So it sounds like we kind of had a similar experience. Yeah, I think a lot of people do, don't they, with animals in their homes when they look at them and see so much about them and then you click that all these other animals have so much about them in the same way and this hypocritical ideology that we have between certain animals that we would never want to see hurt and certain animals who we, it's not that we disregard, but we just turn a blind eye to their suffering in so many ways. And it's, yeah, I mean, cinnamon. How lovely. It's a nice story. And I think, I also think those stories are really lovely because it comes from such a pure place of, you know, seeing a non-human animal and viewing them in such a wonderful way. And then just making that connection to all the other animals. It's a really nice way of making that connection, so to speak. And it's lovely that Cinnamon has done that with, with you as well. Oh, thank you. I, <laughs> I totally agree. I think once people do have their eyes opened to the realities of animal agriculture, they do begin to see the other animals in their life much differently because it's incredibly unfortunate that dogs and cats you know, are like cherished by by most. And then cows and pigs and chickens and turkeys all got it so terribly, all yeah. like were really fucked. And it's it is pretty strange because so many people aren't able to make that connection between like their dog and a cow. They seem like completely different creatures, which they are. But if you see a cow walk around in the grass, like they they look pretty much just like a puppy. They're so happy and yeah. they're they're frolicking and they want to have fun and they they want love and attention. I've spent a lot of time at at the farm sanctuary here in California and Acton just petting cows for a long time and they, they just, <laughs> it's easy done yeah no it's it's the best time and they just love attention and affection 
just very similar to a dog or a cat. So it, it really is so unfortunate that they got the very short end of the stick. But I think that a lot of people do have that moment, like we both had, where they, they maybe make the realization about animal cruelty and then are able to see things differently. It opens their eyes to a totally new way of thinking about their life and their, their animals. Yeah, I think that's very well said. Um, and yeah, I think anyone listening who's never been to an animal sanctuary, it, take it upon like yourself to go and visit for one day and you won't regret it. It's such a wonderful thing. And when you do spend time with these animals, and I've also spent many an hour, you cuddle up with some cows and it's, <laughs> it's a wonderful thing because they're so gentle and they're so peaceful and you see so much personality within them. And it's the same with sheep. I have a, a bit of an affinity of sheep. I just think they're the most wonderful animals. Um, and when you spend time with them, you do see all this personality within them that you don't see before because we're, we're kind of raised to see animals in farms as just being like almost not an animal, but kind of devoid of a personality. And so we just view pigs as all being the same and not having kind of individualistic tendencies. But when you spend time with them in a, in a sanctuary, like farm is such a wonderful place. When you spend time with them in places like that, you see them as individuals. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we can encourage people to do who still don't see animals in that way is to see them as individuals. And by spending time with them, it's you, you can't deny it once you spend, you know, 10, 15 minutes around these animals. You just see all the little characteristics and habits and you, oh, this pig over here is a bit grumpy and this one's very social and this one likes this and this one likes that. And all of a sudden, it's not just pigs or cows or sheep being just this collective. All of a sudden, it's these individuals. And I think that's also a painful recognition because then you, as vegans, when we think about animals in farms and we hear about all oh, this 56 billion land animals killed a year, you know, one trillion fish, all of a sudden we're thinking, wow, you know, those are 56 billion individuals and a trillion individuals. And it's a painful realization, but also a very important one, I think. Absolutely. I, I actually did not know the specific numbers. and That's absolutely nuts. But I completely agree. I, I always tell people that they should go visit the farm sanctuary because it really does force you to make this connection that I didn't make until I saw a cow in real life, just a happy cow, a free cow living their life at a sanctuary without fear of being harmed they grow to 2000 pounds which is crazy because they're often killed before they can ever reach that in a slaughterhouse and so to see how massive they become and also how massive a cow's milk makes them which since i saw the 2000 pound cow in person i have been so disturbed by the idea of milk more so than I ever was. And I never drank dairy milk my whole life. I was always pretty grossed out by it, but way before I was vegetarian or vegan. But that just really disgusted me to see that these cows are supposed to grow to 2,000 pounds and we're drinking a milk that is meant for a baby cow to grow to that size. How could that possibly in a million years in some alternate universe be good for us? And people turn it around and are like, it's important for your bones to be strong or whatever. I don't even know what you could possibly say to argue that it's good for you. No. It's shocking. It was so shocking to me, but I never really made that distinct connection until I was able to see these cows in person. And the thing about dairy that confuses me is it is, as you say, it's, it's so, when you think about it, it's so weird and so strange. And the things that we pay people to do to these animals to impregnate them, take their babies away from them. And then we drink the milk. And it's, I really have been reflecting this quite a lot recently. And every time I think about it for a minute, I'm just so shocked that so many people 
just do it without thinking how weird and creepy and strange it is. And then people turn around and say, well, vegan food's weird or oat milk's a bit strange. And then you're like, you're drinking the milk from an udder of another animal who was forcibly impregnated, who had their baby taken away from them. And then blending oats and water is weird. (laughs) How have we got to this point in society where that's, that's so strange to me? It's so nuts. It makes no sense at all. And I talk about that all the time, how it's so mind blowing that we've gotten to a point where that's just a normalized part of most societies is this animal cruelty. But these weird traditions of taking milk from another animal, which were the only creatures that do that and creating these systems upon which millions and trillions of animals die a year. It's absolutely insane and people will often be like well what about carnivorous animals in the wild and what's the difference between that and humans eating meat and it's like well animals in the wild haven't created an entire system and industry and way of living that revolves around making animals lives a living hell and taking trillions of their lives a year. That's not what happens in the wild. It's disturbing, isn't it? And I think it's so strange that we point to animals in the wild as somehow justifies. Like we never look at a lion in the wild and think, oh, a lion's a great role model for how we should live. No one has ever really thought that. But when it comes to eating animals, we go, oh, a lion's very aspirational. We'd never think that wild animals should be the the beacons of morality. And yet when it comes to eating meat, meat eating everyone thinks that wild animals are somehow the the beacon for that it's a strange thing isn't it? i suppose you know animals in the wild like you say they haven't crafted this incredibly violent system and they, and they eat animals out of necessity we don't do it out of necessity we do it out of well, tradition culture gluttony um you know individualistic desire and i suppose you know a detachment from the reality and this is, is a strange one. It's like when people compare what we do to our ancestors and say, well, our ancestors used to eat meat. It's like our ancestors used to live in caves and they used to die before they got to 40 and all of these things. It's again, why would we want our ancestors to be role models for how we'd want to live in a contemporary society? <laughs> That's it's strange. So true. <laughs> yeah, the justifications people find are often very bemusing, but, um, I suppose, I suppose the fact that they're bemusing isn't necessarily an indictment on, on them. It just shows how ingrained we are in this situation that, you know, rational, intelligent, logical, you know, empathetic people will eat animals and then say, well, a lion kills a gazelle without understanding how logically kind of irrelevant that, of course, is to how we should live. It just shows how deeply ingrained this is and how it turns people into, I suppose, illogical beings even though that's very contradictory to who they would normally be it's a it's a very fascinating psychologically speaking a very fascinating scenario although ultimately a very depressing scenario as well and i've never heard anyone put it like that where it's like we don't look to wild animals for the rest of the structure of how to live our lives (laughs) why would we look to them for our diet that makes no sense it's funny because i always say to people you know if, if if the justification is that it's okay for us to eat animals because lions do, then therefore it must be acceptable for us to do anything that lions do. You know, but lions kill each other, of course, and we would never say it's acceptable to kill another human just because lions do. That's crazy, of course. But why is it then acceptable for us to kill other animals just because lions do? I mean, lions do a whole host of terrible things that we would never deem morally acceptable. And uh, eating meat shouldn't be an outlier within that. Of course, it, it should be included within that you know, kind of thing that a lion does that we would never do. Because, you know, we have moral agency and can rationalize and empathize in a way that other animals in the wild either can't do or don't have the luxury to do because they eat meat to survive. But 
in the absence of necessity, then we have to look beyond what other animals do and realize that we wouldn't justify killing a dog or a cat or, you know, harpooning a whale because lions kill gazelles. And we shouldn't do the same to justify, you know, killing pigs in gas chambers or dairy cows in slaughterhouses or, you know, whatever situation of abuse, you know, inflicted upon these animals. We have to look beyond what other animals do and recognize that we're highly intelligent beings and also empathetic. And we should use that compassion, empathy, and intelligence to make better decisions. That's ultimately what it boils down to, I think. That's so beautifully put. I want to talk about Surge, your organization. Yeah, I would love to. I mean, Surge, we, we started Surge uh, June 2016. So yeah, four years ago, just over four years. And um, we kind of host a lot of events, um, or we have done previously before COVID times, of course, um, like an animal rights march, uh, different events like outreach events, specifically targeting um, like the dairy industry and other such, uh, systems such as those. And more recently, we've started doing, I suppose, kind of spurred on because of the pandemic, really looking at pr- producing a lot of high quality content online. You know, hopefully that's what we've been able to do. So focusing on different topics. And so we've done a lot of investigations and exposés before. Um, we recently released uh, an investigation to a goat farm in the UK, which is producing milk for one of the biggest, well, the biggest goat milk brand in the UK called St. Helens, um, kind of showcasing the reality of what happens in these farms. And it's just terrible, really, just horrible. But we also made videos about honey and different issues like that. So really just trying to use the platform that we have to raise awareness about lots of different topics. And we've got some content about fish coming out and different things like that. So yeah, we're kind of a, a smallish team growing and we're just trying to do as much as we can have you know historically done kind of on the street activism but now trying to take it online as well and and produce some different kind of informative videos i suppose um but hopefully good resources for vegans to share and informative resources for non-vegans to to watch and, and learn something from as well hopefully the content you're creating is so incredible and extremely eye-opening do you have a video or a message that has stood out to you the most that maybe really surprised you if you didn't know about it before or had a particular impact on you? That's a good question. I mean, when the pandemic started, I, I started really researching uh, how our exploitation of animals you know, increases significantly our risk of infectious zoonotic disease. And that has just absolutely blown my mind. I did not realize how interconnected chicken farming is with bird flu and pig farming is with swine flu and how wet markets are in the US as well. You've got live bird markets, 80 of them in New York City alone. I was like, this is crazy. Wow. So actually researching that, yeah, it's just unbelievable. But researching how farming and deforestation, of course, which is you know hugely linked to animal farming, how those things contribute massively to the creation of infectious disease that spreads from non-human animals to humans that's been really eye-opening and, and not in a particularly pleasant way either. It's kind of shaken me up a lot to realize that we've been playing with fire for decades now, and we've been really lucky to not have anything as bad as we have now before. And in many ways, we're lucky that what we have now isn't even worse. And there's strains of bird flu like called H5N1 and H7N9 that have fatality rates of 30% and 60%. You know, and It's just really eye-opening to me to really research how interconnected those issues are i suppose the good thing of it really is it's reinforced again how going vegan can have such a big impact in so many ways before i was used to say you know going vegan is good for your health it's good for the environment it's good for the animals of course and now it's good for those three things and also good for preventing pandemics which is also a a really wonderful thing that we can hopefully prevent from happening again um, in the future so that's been eye-opening for sure 
wow, that's that's incredibly disturbing. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's just the tip of it. Honestly, it's it's been a rabbit hole that I've been down for like four months now, and I'm looking forward to seeing the, the sky again afterwards, I think. Wow. Yeah, I mean, like you said, there's just already so much evidence on how consuming animal products affects your general health, like your heart and uh, whole body, but that's just health on a different level. That's that's catastrophic worldwide health that animal yeah. products could be affecting. But I was reading, I think it was the United Nations stated not so long ago, the two biggest threats to human the human species all, all over, the global human health, um, firstly, climate change, and secondly, global pandemics. And of course, animal agriculture is one of the leading causes of climate change and in many aspects like deforestation, um, kind of fresh water usage, land usage is the number one cause of those problems. And then when it comes to global pandemic risk, again, animal exploitation, whether it be farming, whether it be deforestation um, for cattle grazing in, in um, the Amazon or wherever it might be, though that's also the leading cause of, of infectious zoonotic disease, which can cause pandemics. And so the two biggest threats to human health a huge part of them are directly linked to the meat, dairy, and eggs on our plate. And that's a scary prospect, but I think it's also a positive one because I think at the same time, when we often talk about big issues. We often feel very helpless as individuals. But I think the rewarding thing about knowing that what's on our plate exacerbates the risk is knowing that if we change what's on our plate, we can also reduce the risk as well. And so actually as individuals and as consumers and as citizens, we have often a lot more influence and power than we often realize. And I think that's an empowering thing as well as a, a frightening thing. Well, fingers crossed anyway. That's a powerful thing too, because it really does prove how one person's actions can affect climate change or the reality of animal agriculture. A lot of people don't understand how they could possibly make an impact, but it is all about supply and demand. And it's also directly linked to what you're eating and everybody does have power over their own individual choices most people hopefully so it really does matter what you choose to do as an individual it doesn't have to be a large group of of people doing it all at once although i the more vegans the, the merrier but it really does just all start with your individual choice absolutely i think that's a really i think that is a really empowering thing because before as vegan I kind of felt, yeah, that I was helpless, that it was the oil companies and the fossil fuel companies, and they do play a huge role. And we do feel slightly helpless in, in, in doing anything about those issues. And we look to our governments to do something. And as we know, they very, very rarely do or anything meaningful, at least. Yep. But when it comes to animal cruelty, yeah, when it comes to animal cruelty and the impact that that has on us, on the planet, on animals, that is directly linked to us. And that's a wonderful thing. We don't have to rely on you know, politicians to bring about change. We don't have to rely on, you know, other companies. We can rely on each other and hold each other up and empower each other to recognize that in this particular problem, with this severity of the problem as well, we can bring about a significant change. And all it does is, all it requires, as you were saying, is just a little bit of looking on our plate and going, you know what, let's take the animal products off and let's buy the lentils and the chickpeas and the tofu and the, the beyond meats or whatever else it might be. Let's use those products instead. And such a simple change in our day-to-day -day life has a huge impact. And then when we can magnify that by encouraging our friends, our family, our people in society to join us in that, we magnify that effect in such a way that the change becomes really, really instrumental very, very quickly. And um, I think if we can just recognize the power that we have, that's a really, that helps us in many ways to be determined to keep doing that good thing. 
And uh, it's very, it, the, the change is tangible when it starts and we can already see how that's happening. I mean, especially in the US, but in the UK as well, where I am, everywhere you go, there's vegan food and vegan options and people talking about veganism. You know, not always positively, but the conversation is there. Whereas 10 years ago, the conversation didn't exist, but now it's at the forefront of so much of in society talking about plant-based diets and this documentary that the game changes that are talked about on podcasts, you know, like Joe Rogan, for example. And then all these different things have a huge ripple effect over time, which has a really, really big positive benefit. And as individuals, we're part of that positive change. And that's a, to me, that's a really wonderful thing about veganism is it's a directly positive thing that we as individuals take part in. We don't have to worry about others. We can still do something positive on our own. So true. And I, I really love that you said it doesn't even always matter if they're talking positively about it. It just matters that there's a conversation happening because that's really how it all really starts because a lot of people do not have a positive reaction to being told about veganism because it, it it forces them to come to terms with perhaps what they've contributed to in the past. And it's it's a really difficult thing for a lot of people. It was very difficult for me to come to terms with, to, to accept that I had been unknowingly contributing to animal cruelty for my whole life. It's a hard thing to accept. And so I think that a majority of the time, people probably will have a pretty defensive or maybe negative reaction to hearing about veganism or an animal agriculture. And that's okay because they're, they're talking about it and they're thinking about it. And chances are they'll probably change their opinion after some time because... I, I think that a lot of people need a period of reflection or a momentary pause to come to terms with it because it's a huge pill to swallow. It's a huge thing to, to it, it. It's like everything you've known is not true. And it's it's really difficult. And I remember firsthand how difficult it was to be like, wait, what have I been doing without knowing? And wait, I've been wearing an animal skin on my shoes and these products that I put on my face were once tested on another rabbit while I have a rabbit in my room who I love. It, it, it's, it's so much information that you have to process. And so I think it's understandable for a lot of people to not react positively to it at first. But since they're having these conversations, they are thinking about it. And once you kind of hear the reality of veganism and animal rights, it, it's hard to unsee or unhear. So chances are it will stick with that person. And over time, they might come come to terms with it and make a change. I mean, I think that's so true. And I remember, I mean, before I was vegan, even, even when I was vegetarian, I thought that vegans were really extreme people. I used to think, I used to I'd say, even just a few weeks before I actually made the change, I was saying, oh, vegans are crazy and they're militant mm -hmm. and they've got no sense of humor and they take everything too far. Like they just chill out, you know, like meat's bad and sure, factory farming's terrible, but let's just take a break for a second. I used to think that. And I mean, I'm sure when I was hearing about vegan before I even really cared about what was happening to animals, I probably, you know, had the worst opinion. I, I was one of these people that would, you know, make bacon jokes and I remember we I'd watched the documentary. This was years before, I think it was Food Inc. And afterwards, I think I jokingly said, let's have a chicken burger, you know, because mm -hmm. I was reacting defensively because I'd been made to feel uncomfortable. And it was like a my ego coming in and saying, make a joke to brush off the fact that it's made you feel uncomfortable. So yeah, I mean, even 
you know, even bef- just a few weeks before being vegan, I was making comments and saying that vegans were crazy and militant. So it's definitely a, a, a progression and it definitely takes a bit of time for many people. And I think that's why if you can reflect on that, I think that's why it's much easier to then not become too emotionally invested when someone says something online or someone says something to you in person, if you're you know, talking about veganism with your family or friends or, you know, at activism events, if someone says something to you, if you can just reflect and say, this person isn't necessarily saying that to cause, or not, is not consciously saying that to try and cause me to feel offended or upset or to try and make light of what's happening, but is saying it because something they've seen or something I've said is causing them to maybe feel uncomfortable, is causing them to reflect in a way they don't want to. And so they're reacting on kind of a very egoic level of just saying something that tries to distract from the core root of the problem. If you can see that actually people have this whole, I guess, psychological kind of backlog that's leading up to saying something, if we can reflect and understand how society and culture and people's individual upbringings have raised them to this point where they're becoming uncomfortable because morally they're starting to get conflicted as they know that they shouldn't be doing this to animals, but they don't want to change and they have a dog at home who they love. And now they're thinking about the pig in the farm who's the same as their dog. And it's very difficult to then actually accept that the way you've lived has caused suffering. And so it's easy sometimes just to brush that aside and make a comment or call vegans weird or extreme or whatever it, it takes to make you feel a little bit less uncomfortable. But ultimately that comment or that thought process that's led them to that moment of saying something like that and like making a bacon joke or whatever it might be is very important and it's actually a big signifier of them taking that step towards change even though it might not seem overtly obvious that's true at least that's the way i say it to myself to make myself feel better i think (laughs) no i i so agree and i and i have been there as well saying that i i'm never going to be vegan and uh, my best friend went vegan when I went vegetarian and I always kind of gave her a hard time. And at one point, I I think it was maybe my 17th birthday. Uh, we were in, we were in France and I kept being like, come on, man, just, just eat pizza or just eat this pasta with cheese on it. Like it's too hard to be vegan here. And, and she was like, no, Harley, you don't understand. I'm, I'm not eating animal products anymore. And I was like, but that, that's so hard. Why would you do that? And now I look back and I'm like, wow. But I think it was an important thing to happen for me because now I can look back and reflect on that experience and empathize with other people who are going through the same thing and who may say hurtful or harmful things about vegans uh, because there's a ton of hate towards vegans. But at the same time, I understand because I was there at one point. But um, I, I want to ask, because it sounds like you have been all over the place, all over the world, talking about veganism. I, I saw that you've spoken at a third of UK universities and six Ivy League colleges. That's so nuts. What does veganism look like in different places in the world to you? Do you notice differences? That's a really good question. Uh, I definitely notice differences. And in, I mean, the UK is a real bubble in many ways. If I was, if you wander around London, for example, or many of the major cities everywhere, you can find vegan food. But you're right in like you're referencing France earlier is, is a quite an interesting one because France is quite hard. And even when I was in Switzerland last December, uh, I was doing a talk at a school. And so the school was going to cater for my lunch. 
And so I was in the cafeteria queuing up to get lunch. And I was like, there's nothing here that I can have. And this was in a school with kids. And I felt really guilty because I'd done this whole talk to about five different uh, classes, asking them to go vegan. And they go down to get lunch and there's nothing there. And even the vegetables were covered in butter, which is like the most Swiss thing possible, I think, isn't it? To cover everything in butter. <laughs> I couldn't even have vegetables. So wow. that was kind of like a big moment. I was like, wow, actually, it is quite culturally diverse. In the US, uh, it's, it's very easy nearly everywhere I've been, I think. But it's interesting to, I mean, you, the US is so vast and it's so culturally diverse. So obviously, if you're in New York or in California, then you're going to be fine. But when I was in Texas, the food wasn't the problem, but the mentality was very different. I'd gone to a rodeo protest. And so people obviously weren't particularly fond of vegans there. I remember there was this one woman walking around with a pita t-shirt, but it said people for the eating of tasty animals or something. Oh. And I was like, wow, I'm really in the lion's den here, right? This is uh, <laughs> not, oh, this is not London, that's for sure. Wow. So it is interesting. But I think what's quite optimistic is everywhere that I've been, people's excuses are always the same. And so I was thinking, you know, going to Texas or going to Switzerland or, or anywhere, really, maybe there's going to be an argument that I've not heard before. But really, when you, you talk to people, everyone uses the same argument and the same logic. And that's really rewarding because you realize it's not this insurmountable task where, you know, everyone's got these different ideas. It's, it's more that most people fall into the same umbrella of using the same arguments because culturally you may be very diverse, but we're also a lot more unique than sometimes people sometimes think we maybe realize that we are in the sense of what we do to animals is very much a culturally ingrained philosophy rather than, you know, something that we've decided on our own. It's something that's almost been decided for us. And so when you actually challenge someone on why they consume animals, we fall back into the same kind of ideas and, and reinforcing the same kind of same tropes, I suppose. And that's been a rewarding thing. So it does change or differ wildly in terms of like food availability or in terms of like, you know, obviously you can get grains and fruits and vegetables and the staples anywhere, but in terms of like beyond meat and alternatives, it, it obviously kind of varies wildly. But ultimately, I think the, the rewarding thing that I've seen from my travels is that we're really just using the same arguments and the same excuses. And when you give people the same responses and the same logical rebuttals, it has that same effect. And even if you're into rodeo or you eat foie gras or you eat veal or you like McDonald's, whatever system of animal exploitation you participate in directly, you still have that same response when you're kind of confronted with an argument that is logical and rational and thoroughly shows why the arguments you use to defend these industries just doesn't add up, even with your own morals. Actually, just admit the rodeo point again, just to go back to that, what was fascinating to me was talking to these cowboys who really, I mean, I don't know if they were delusional or if they actually believed it, but they really didn't seem to think that what they were doing caused any suffering or any pain. And I thought that is so mind-boggling to me coming from a culture which obviously doesn't have rodeo and frowns upon it even if you're not vegan but to see that the way that they viewed what they did was no different to how i viewed buying a dairy product oh this doesn't cause suffering this doesn't cause pain it's like we've, we've completely shielded ourselves away from what's obviously in front of us and um i suppose that's good in the sense because it just shows how we're on the same boat and again a logical rebuttal goes very far with anyone in any culture i think and hopefully that's a rewarding aspect of what i've, I've found is we kind of all are in the same boat, but there's an easy solution to that. And it's just logic and, and um, compassion, ultimately. Wow, that's so interesting that it, it pretty much is like this, this same rebuttal everywhere. And I, 
I spent a month in in Texas uh, last year shooting the pilot for my show, and I one night everybody was going to it was called a honky tonk. So everybody went to this honky tonk, which I I did not know what a honky tonk was <laughs> prior to this night. Um, but it was kind of like this. It was in this massive building, where, and there was there was like a a big dance floor where people were doing I want to say square dancing. Like it was it was a very southern cowboy sort of situation, oh, like line dancing. Yeah, like line dancing. Yes, oh, exactly. I, yeah. <laughs> um, and I spent a month there, but I I was I was shocked. I had never seen any of this in my life. But yeah, people were line dancing, and then there there was like southern food everywhere, a, a bunch of bars. But then there was a, a rodeo stadium. I was so upset because I had never seen one in real life and they, they actually weren't even using it. But I was so upset just seeing it because this this place was frequented by hundreds of people. There were probably thousands of people in this in this honky tonk building I, I don't know what it was <laughs> but there were thousands of people there and no one seemed to have an issue with it was it was completely normal to everybody and this is no no critique of anybody i was with they were all my friends who i love very much but even they didn't seem to have a big reaction to it like it, it was it, it was just like any other part of this experience but i was extremely disturbed and there were a bunch of photo ops where you could sit on fake bulls but the fake bull had like fur of a actual bull on it and sort of like a mechanical bull but they were just photo ops and they were in a bunch of places and i was just i was so uncomfortable because it was so normalized and people just seemed to have no issue with it whatsoever but there were pictures of it everywhere and it's so nuts that in particular rodeos are such a thing that some people just seem to not understand the issue with but to me that's so clearly like do you not see how these animals are directly suffering it's not even like eating an animal product where obviously the animal is suffering but you don't have to see it and therefore you're not really thinking about it and it's more of a unconscious decision that you're making to contribute to animal cruelty if you're not aware of it but this you're you're watching it firsthand you're watching and making these animals suffer and people gather in a stadium to watch these animals suffer it blows my fucking mind it's so nuts it's it's like dog racing or this is perhaps a controversial opinion to some but i i also hate horse racing i just hate any form yeah. of entertainment that includes an animal i hate zoos obviously aquariums all of it i just so strongly think that every form of entertainment including an animal is so outdated and unnecessary and cruel and it's it really blows my mind that that's not more obvious to people even people who like you said in, in the uk like even if they're not vegan they're they're able to frown upon a rodeo because it's obviously cruel and it's so crazy to me that so many people here in the US just do not see that. It's scary, isn't it? I mean, the fact that, I mean, I'll bring it back to the UK, but I think with the with the rodeo, one thing that really disturbs me is that, you know, the calf roping. So they take like a newborn baby or a baby who's maybe a matter of weeks or a few months old, puts them in an arena where there's hundreds, if not thousands of people cheering all around them. And this like basically newborn baby animal is then chased by someone on a horse and then has a, a rope tied around them and is 
pulled back. They instantly they can you know break their spine, their neck, and and we don't think that that is bad or cruel. Like it's crazy, but you do raise a really good point about horse racing, and horse racing is terrible. And I think it's a bit hypocritical in the UK. It's very hypocritical because you know we do frown upon rodeo and we do frown upon um, bullfighting as well as an example in in continental Europe. But at the same time, we have horse racing, and it's a big, big cultural thing in the UK. And every year, horses die on the tracks, and they put up these like black curtains, and they go and shoot the horses and, and kind of euthanize them on, on the track. Yeah, and there's, there's there's tens of thousands of people who go to these events and gamble and who get drunk and you know it, it kind of consider it a day out. And then as that's happening, a horse has been shot in the middle of a field. And no one bats an eyelid. Or, you know, sometimes you'll go on Twitter and you'll see that someone, a, a horse has been killed and people will be saying, oh, my condolences to the rider. The rider's fine. Like the what? horse is just being killed on the track shot. And this is on live television. You know, it'll be there and you can see in sports bars or if you turn on the TV, you can watch the horse racing. And then just off the corner of the screen, there's a horse being shot behind these black curtains. And we don't bat an eyelid about it. Like really, it's terrible. And so I do feel that it's, it's kind of like this cultural hypocrisy, isn't it? Where everyone else is really bad, but we're fine. And the UK is just as guilty as that of, of anywhere else in the world. And so we go, oh gosh, bullfighting in Spain's terrible. Rodeo in oh, yeah. you know, the southern states of the US is terrible. But then, you know, we've got live animal abuse on the television. You can bet money on in the same way as you can with any of these other systems. And so you're absolutely right. It's, when we put animals in an environment for our entertainment, that's never coming at the benefit of the animal. There's no good for the animal in that scenario. It's just mindless entertainment for us. And it's, it is very troubling because like you make a very good point by saying is that with farming and slaughterhouses, we don't see them. They're not all around us or, or they are, but they're hidden. We, no, we don't get a glimpse into it unless we seek it out. But animals for entertainment, we watch them with our own eyes. They're in front of us and we don't bat an eyelid or question the morality of it. Like, that is so disturbing. But you know, I was the same. I've been to aquariums. I remember I went to Vancouver Aquarium when I was young and Vancouver Aquarium had just got rid of having orcas there. And I was so gutted that I wouldn't get to see an orca in an aquarium. But we went around the aquarium nonetheless, and there was dolphins jumping through hoops. And again, I'm just thinking, wow, this is wonderful. Look at these dolphins swimming around this tiny tank, jumping through fiery hoops for me so I can clap and you know, get a thrill for a couple of hours you don't stop and think about it. You just kind of take enjoyment from it and think, well, everyone else is enjoying it and everyone else is here and it must therefore be fine. And, you know, the trainers tell you that the whales couldn't be happier and they're having a wonderful life. And it's the same with horse racing or rodeo. The people within the industry will tell you that the animals are fine and everyone's happy and there's no ethical problems. And so unless you're actively involved in it, in terms of like a vegan perspective, or you're questioning it, why would you not take what they say in face value? Why would you then think deeper upon what you're told? And I think that is ultimately the issue with all systems of animal exploitation is we're fed this lie constantly by those who have vested financial interests in maintaining the status quo. But because we enjoy the status quo, because we buy the products and we enjoy eating them, or we enjoy a day out of the races or the rodeo, we don't want to look beyond what we're told by the industry because to do that reveals a deep set of lies, which makes us fundamentally uncomfortable and hopefully will make us change. And so it's this kind of tightrope where as people within society, we kind of are aware of the problems, but we just want to keep walking this very convenient tightrope and hope that we don't fall off by being shown the truth. And I think we've got a 
shake that tyrant obviously and throw everyone off as quickly as we can. But I think that's how I see it. Just this really delicate balancing act that, you know, is being disrupted by vegans and all these different campaign organizations that are shedding light on all these different industries that harm others. And yeah, hopefully that'll change. But I think it's a very good point that you raised about different cultures and different systems, but it inherently doesn't matter what form it takes. It's still wrong and needs to stop. I'm so thankful you said that. And I think it, it really is a balancing act and that's a perfect way to put it. I honestly, it's kind of weird because, I mean, I, I live in LA, so I do definitely live in a bubble, but I haven't even really thought about some of this stuff in, in a while. Like for me, when when I went vegan, first I, I realized my diet needed to change, obviously. And then I made the connection with the clothes that I wear. And then I made the connection with the cosmetics I put on my face, my body. But it, it, I didn't really have like a, a huge distinct moment where I was like, oh, man, I can't go to the aquarium anymore or like something like that. But I, I absolutely did that as a kid. I went to the zoo probably like once a month, if not more, when I was a kid because I, I was obsessed with the animals. But once I went vegan, that just kind of clicked for me. So I, I haven't really thought about it in a long time. It wasn't something that I had to realize over time. So I just haven't really given it thought in a moment. But oh my God, I, I kind of forgot how vast animal cruelty is. Like if if animal agriculture was not enough, <laughs> I forgot that all these horrible traditions and practices are in place all over the world. Like Sea World. I mean, that's the one that comes up the most that I see. Fucking stupid Sea World, which I can't imagine is going to stay around for much longer. I hope to God. But like Sea World and horse racing and rodeos and all this stuff. I forgot how vast it is. There are so many aspects all over the world in societies that include the exploitation of animals and animal cruelty. Once you take a step back and think about it and look at what we've done as humans to these other species, it's so mind-bending. Like, not even count, not even thinking right now about all the pollution that we've caused in the oceans that are killing the animals and on land as well. But anyways, on a, on a better, happier note of change. <laughs> um, so you, you mentioned briefly before, uh, the animal rights march. So you're drawing tons of attention to the animal rights community with that march. And it's been here in LA. I've seen it and I think it's so great. How how did that come about? Yeah, so it's a good question. We decided to set up the march in London. This was in 2016. Um, it's just when we started Surgeon. So we saw, kind of saw the march as being a good way of like, not announcing ourselves as an organization, but doing like a big event, like our first event. And so that in that year, 2016, we had two and a half thousand people, which we were completely blown away by. And then the next year came about and we had 5,000 people, but then we started having marches take place in other cities. And so there was LA and, uh, and New York and, and very in other places. Then we did 2018 and we had 10,000 people turn up in London, but then we had about 40 cities around the world that were taking part by that point. And then last year we had, I think, 12,000 in London. And then we had globally, I think, I can't remember, it was tens of thousands. And it's been really wonderful to see that progression of how each year the numbers have increased in, in each individual countries and the number of countries taking part has increased, or just cities and countries. Because in the US, there's 
several that take part in, in Canada as well. But actually, what's really wonderful is to see places that you don't normally think of having a much of a vegan movement. Let's say Manila in the Philippines would be an example, or places like Taiwan, where you don't necessarily think of them having like an active vegan scene necessarily. You know, of course, there's vegans and vegan food, but like mm-hmm. activists and people stand up for animal rights, we, we don't often think about a lot of different places, but then there's a big march happening here and they're the biggest animal rights marches that have taken place in those countries and you know getting media attention and, and normalizing veganism and normalizing the concept of, of animal rights and i think that's one of the reasons why we started it was to galvanize the community and kind of show that we do exist in huge numbers because as vegans we often feel very isolated and alone i think one of the biggest questions that i get from vegans or one of the saddest things i get is people going vegan but then they've got no vegan friends no vegan family and they feel very alone and they're kind of doing this righteous thing but without any active support and that's a really terrible thing to feel like that and so we want to do the march to say to people if you can come along come along because you can feel like you're a part of something but even if you can't come along even just by looking online hopefully you see that there's actually these are real people who care just about the same things you do who are you know defending the animals and standing up for the rights of them and of course, the planet and, and everyone who lives here. And you're not alone. And ultimately, we can feel inspired to recognize that even those moments where we feel isolated and we feel like there's no one around us who understands. And you know, we talk about how terribly vast animal exploitation is and how far it's permeated and it's in all these different areas of our life. And that is true, but there's also an opposite that's true, which is at the same time that all these terrible things are happening to animals, there's also a huge growing movement that's fighting against that. And in the case of SeaWorld and, and in many other situations, that fight is already having a huge consequence. And even for the bigger industries, you know, the factory farming or the animal farming in general, these bigger industries that often feel very insurmountable, there is a huge amount of progression happening to dismantling these industries as well. And as individuals, even if you feel isolated and alone, we are still a part of that wonderful change. Um, and that's part of what we want the march to symbolize, you know, a community of people that care just as strongly as the other person in that community does. And even though we may feel like we don't belong, we actually very much belong in this ever-growing community that is bringing about change and will, and I, and I don't doubt this for a second, will bring about significant change. And when you consider things like lab-grown meat and um, plant-based meats like Beyond Meat, and you, you know, talk about the changing awareness of just the individual people in society, when you group all these things together, you realize that change is actually inevitable. I really strongly feel that, even though it may feel like it's a way off in the distance, change feels slow. But when you look back, you realize that actually changes happen so quickly. And if we take the example of factory farming, that really only kicked off in the 60s properly. We had commercial poultry farms, real factory farming was the 60s. And then if we look at what's happening in, in other places around the world, factory farming is still a relatively new thing. And so if we think that factory farming's only been around for 60 years, we have just as much opportunity to dismantle all of those problems in the next 60 years. And I don't doubt for a second that we will. And um, that's a tangent from away from what you asked, but the march is supposed to symbolize progression, <laughs> hope, togetherness, community, and ultimately um, a sense of change, which I do honestly believe is inevitable. And it's just a matter of time and perseverance to get us there. Earthling Ed, ladies and gentlemen. Many Eds on this earth, but only one Earthling Ed. True. So true. <laughs> Co-sign? Co-sign. Um, you're getting good at this interview thing. For episode 10, you sound fluent. You got rid of the whole... This next person that I am talking to is an exciting vegan. 
doing my best. I mean, I love it. Uh, but it's, I think you figured out along the way, as you're now the editor of the show or the edit her, um, you can make yourself sound even cooler just by diving into the fucking thing and stuff. I've got it. Yeah, you, got, you got caught it. it. It's it's fun watching you evolve, even within ten episodes. It's like, look at her; she's gotten a style. Thanks. Um, do you want to talk about your vegan questions about vegan? About, oh yeah, because that was the original incarnation of the show. We would be getting questions, and I would answer them to other people. That's true. <laughs> so, as for episode ten on our look back show. We remember the quaint ideas that started this podcast and answer question from the audience. It's true. It's more of a general question asked by multiple people. It's not one specific person. We still can't fulfill still our original mission. <laughs> Jesus. I haven't figured out how to do that yet. I I, I'm, I'm still really trying to figure it out. It I'm working on me, it. But I got editing down. I do. One step at a time. Big All right. Steps. So what was the general question? So, Why do you still podcast with your father? <laughs> Ew, grow up. No. <laughs> All right. So what was the question? Do you make a dog vegan or is it? Yeah. They were asking about our animals. Um, so no, uh, obviously my rabbit is vegan. Is a vegan and I'm very proud of her. But <laughs> She's like, it's only because I have a cho no choice. Nobody ever gave me chicken. It's No, She's she wouldn't like, need it. Give me some chicken. I'll let you know. She could eat my cat's food if she wanted to, but she does not want to. And in fact, my cats have started to eat her food and- my one mini, my girl cat, ate an entire salad the other day. <laughs> Did she? Yeah, it was so weird. But in my opinion, I don't think it is extremely ethical to try to make a cat vegan. Mm. Um, obviously, all cats are carnivores. Humans have the luxury of choosing whether... Meow, meow, I want meat. <laughs> meow, meow, yeah. I thirst for blood. Yep. Meow, meow, if I was 10 times my size, I'd eat you and your boyfriend absolutely <laughs> i mean they're natural killers and yeah. like they fake hunt things all around the room all day they like they hunt their shadows that's what they're born to do they're little predators and they wouldn't be able to to really function properly or grow properly because they're still kittens if i if i were to try to force my opinions upon them and i live by um, the ideals that i i don't want to force my lifestyle upon anyone except for my dad because yeah, you really. didn't have a choice. But when you make Shecky vegan, I will try to she see if my Shecky, cats will fuck uh, with Shecky, it. The only thing, like, if I, if I, she would prefer to have a Beyond Burger than that fucking Cesar shit. That's true. But Ooh, to be fair, is... she has been like, Shecky's always been a picky eater. Like, you can't give her bread. She doesn't really fuck with it. But lately, in her old age, and like while I'm eating on the bed and shit, watching TV, mm -hmm. maybe it's just captured her imagination where she's like, or maybe she's fucking hungry. I can't see how. But she's been coming over and staring at me and being like, share. And so <laughs> I had like a fucking cupcake, a vegan cupcake the other day. And she fucked with that. I gave her pieces and she ate it. The frosting like fucked her up a little bit where she does that thing where she wipes her nose on the bed to be like, I don't want that. That's the way she indicates like, fuck that. She runs her nose across the bed and you're like, all right, all right. So smart. But she ate the cupcake. She ate a piece of bagel and she's going nuts in her old age, man. Wow. She's like, I'll take it all. Shecky's so maybe she's wild. trying to move away from meat. Maybe she's like, I'm trying to be vegan, you fucking idiot. Maybe she's trying. You know, what the fuck? <laughs> maybe we'll try out some, some vegan pet food. It would be good practice to like get into just making like fucking three Beyond Burgers a day. Two for her, one for myself. 
I think we should recognize people listening right now. Like you guys are so fucking privileged. I know. I think we that should you're recognize talking the about fucking that. making a very expensive meat substitute for your fucking dog who's 15 years old. To be fair, It'll, I do think that my dad sometimes likes Shecky more than me you're and my mom fucking combined. You're <laughs> out of your mind. I, I dig Shecky. I think she's fun. And she definitely seems to like me. But I, of course, prize you too far above really? the likes of a Shecky. Yeah. Mom believe me, if Shecky could speak, second. Shecky would be like, you know, you think he fucking gives me all this attention. But she's like, I got to work for it and shit. And Shecky works hard. Yeah, Shecky really works hard. She does. She's like, it just comes naturally to you because you're his daughter. She's like, I have to remind him every day, <laughs> every hour why it's important that a Shecky is by his side. Well, Shecky has a hard job. That's why she sleeps so much. She's like, it's so hard, so very hard to be the Shecky. <laughs> Remember on Rick and Morty when the when the dog, what was it, a snowball, mm -hmm. had the collar that allowed him or her to talk? Mm -hmm. The helmet. Shecky needs that. Totally. That would change the game. I would, uh, I don't know. There are times where I'm like, I would love to know what she's thinking. And then there are times I'm like, probably best to not know what she's thinking. Because I can project whatever I want onto her. And feel pretty good about it. <laughs> um, but, you know, if she can speak, she's suddenly like, every time you do that stupid voice for me, I hate you more. <laughs> like, why do you think I call you the man? I call you the asshole. <laughs> you got, so and your asshole wife and your asshole kid. <laughs> bunch of assholes I live with. That's what I called you. And I'm only got this fucking perky expression because I'm like, oh, are you talking to me, asshole? I'm making fun of you, fuck. You're my way out of the house and the food. That's it. That'd be so disappointing. I, w I, I don't know. On some level, I'd be like, respect. <laughs> respect, man, because Word up, I wasn't getting that at all. And, you know, that's on me because of my privilege. So preach, Shecky. Tell me how I can be a better, you know, friend to you. Fucking friend. Let me out. Buy me a plane ticket. A plane ticket? Yeah. Send me to Germany. I'm fucking German. Jackie, want, Jackie just wants to go back to Germany? I want to die in the in the fatherland. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's where my people came from. That'd be funny if she did have, like, a German accent. She's like, of course I have a German accent. I'm a Dachshund. That would be awesome. You're coughs. That would be so cute. Um, it'd be cute if it's, like, a, you know, girl's French, a German accent. But if it was, like, a Schweinhood. <laughs> that would not be cute. <laughs> I have never called you this a man. Nine. <laughs> She just opened an eye going, I bet you I'm getting fucking talked about. <laughs> no, she's like, they know. Yeah. Oh, my God. They're on to me. So, anywho. <laughs> I hope they don't give me any of that fucking vegan dog food. <laughs> but if you do have an experience with vegan cat or dog food, let us know. How do they let us know? We have a new Instagram. Oh. That is... Still not up and functioning all the way, but I will get a, whole, a handle of it just like is I did with editing. Is it at Vegan Abattoir? Yes, it is at Vegan Abattoir. So yeah, oh, my God. Nobody else had that name? No one had that name. What a surprise. No one had that name. I knew. I knew it was a good name. Um, all right. <laughs> so that's where people could hit you up with their mm -hmm. vegan questions. Yes, with your questions or And maybe you use that account. To screenshot those questions. That's what I've been thinking. So I just I haven't gotten to you that. You could point be yet. like, we answered this one this week. 
that that's I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but it's that's marketing. where we're going. Marketing 101. I'll get you there if you need if you need help. I do. <laughs> I'm not so much an artist as a salesman. I sell Kevin Smith. Wow. But I also sell Kevin Smith adjacent products. <laughs> like and me? that's what you are. <laughs> I'm gonna leave now since I was just called a Kevin Smith adjacent product. You came out my balls. I mean, I can't imagine how much more adjacent it gets. But um you, you know, you I, I've got a tighter connection. First off, I got a way tighter connection to you than Checky. You're my daughter, she's my dog. Second, I have a fucking tighter connection to you than even fucking your mother. Wow. We share blood. That's true. So when shit goes down shit and the planet. aliens come and they're like, you must pick one. I'm like, I got to go for blood. It's Blood's me? thicker than water. For real? Totally. And then Not your mom shaking? is like, you son of a bitch. She's vaporized. Oh, my God. But you could save her because you get to pick one. I'll save her. Then you're going to leave Austin behind? No. He's like, no. No, no. I'll choose mom. Yeah. Mom will choose Nana. Nana will choose Pa. Pa will choose Austin. I mean- I love Nan and Pop as much as the next guy, but like, let's say the aliens come and they're 85. You're really going to, you know, I think Nan and Pop are probably going to be like, you know, we're done. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. Um, I think you better tell your boyfriend that you're not saving him, um, that you're going for your mom instead of him and hoping that Pop isn't like, well, but wait, what about my friend Joe Bob? Wow. <laughs> this is the, a discussion that happens beforehand so we already have a game plan as to what happens when the aliens come are you do you have enough time to mourn your atomized boyfriend or are you quickly fighting the resistance at this point are you so grief-stricken that you're like just shoot me next you fucking aliens or are you like, death to all aliens in the name of Austin. I will establish a place in his honor and it will be called Austin. And people are like, that already exists in fucking Texas, you Nimrod. <laughs> Don't take away my shine. <laughs> fucking jerks. Write me at Vegan Abitou on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving now. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> something to think about. For joining us. On Certainly Vegan something Abitol. for Cartoona to draw. And I'm going to be very disappointed <laughs> oh, if I don't see an alien invasion cartoon with Austin being destroyed. <laughs> very. What the hell? <laughs> Why do you think I go on bits like that? I'm like, I can't wait to see that cartoon. Come on, Cartoona. <laughs> We're counting on you. <laughs> Uh, there it is. Ten episodes of Vegan Abattoir. We thank you for joining us on this journey into the green for ten whole episodes. Stay with us for, for another ten. For Vegan Abattoir, <laughs> she's Hardly Quinn Smith. And I'm Kevin Smith. And I say, get out of our Vegan Abattoir. But come back soon. <laughs>